BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to a new episode of The Bad Broadcast. I love you. I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Maddie Murphy, and I host this show. I meant to say I am the host, but I host came out quicker than I meant it to. Anyway, it's my birthday week. Tomorrow is my birthday. I'm recording this on October 13th, so my birthday is the 14th. And by the time you're hearing this, it will have already happened. So hopefully it was a great day. Hopefully the merch launch went well. Hopefully I didn't break my leg or get food poisoning or anything. But yeah, I'm going to be 28 tomorrow, which feels old and also young. I think I, I think I just might be regressing in both maturity and intelligence as I get older because I am dumber than ever. But that's okay because I think I think most of us are. But I love my birthday. Not because I love presents. Not saying I not saying I hate presents. I definitely like presents. But I I just like a red letter day. I like a celebration, a holiday, a theme, a marker of a new beginning. I don't really know what new beginning will be happening to me, but I just like to think the birthdays like automatically give you one, you know? Plus I could use one right now. How about you guys? Are we all absolutely unwell? Because not to be that person, but Mercury's in retrograde. And I think we basically all feel terrible. I just don't, I don't listen to astrology unless it already lines up with what I'm feeling. (laughs) Like if it validates me, it's for sure real. But if it doesn't, it's not. So I uh, I journaled last night as one of my last nights as a 27-year-old. I'm not a good journaler. and I mean, it's once in a blue moon, but I thought I should do one right before my birthday. And I tried to like set goals and figure out how to improve myself. And I just got to say, the tactics that people suggest to like, you know, become a better person and enjoy your life more kind of sound like not a good time. And maybe that's the point. I don't know. But it's like, stop procrastinating and do harder things and wake up earlier and sleep less and eat worse food. And I don't know, maybe I'll try a few out, mainly the sleeping ones. I feel like I could give a regular sleep schedule a shot this year, but I don't know. I don't know. Just all of the self-improvement stuff, it, it doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound fun. And I'm here for a good time, not a long time. So moving along, today is not an episode about me and my birthday. Sorry to let everybody down. I'll answer a few questions at the end. We got some voicemails and I think some of them were kind of birthday related. But no, it's October, which means we got to keep it spoopy. 
And we are taking a break this week from listener submitted stories. And instead, we are talking about urban legends, Irby Irby Ledge. I found an article on Thrillist called The Creepiest Urban Legend in Every State. And I'm going to be referencing that and using a lot of it. I'll link it in the show notes if you want to read the whole article. It's by a guy named Daniel Fischel, not to be confused with Danielle Fischel, aka Topanga Lawrence from Boy Meets World. But no, this article was equal parts fascinating and shocking. Matt sent it to me and I was like, you got to do an episode on these. So we won't go through the entire list. We're not going to do every state, but I picked a handful of my favorites to tell you guys. And yeah, like I said, I'll link the, the article in the show notes so you can read all of them if you want to. Also, I know I didn't do a love hate this week, but I promise it's not because I was bullied into submission. Okay. It was just because I was doing all this urban legend research and I didn't write any of my love hates down. So I figured it's fine if we skip it this week. Also, it's my birthday, so don't yell at me. Um, let us begin with our urban legend saga. We're kicking things off with Alaska because apparently everything scary and haunted exists in Alaska. So Alaska's creepiest urban legend is the Alaska Triangle. Let me tell you about it. Encompassing an area ranging from near Juneau in the southeast to the northern Barrow region to the western metropolis of Anchorage, Alaska's answer to the Bermuda Triangle is comprised of some of the most barren wilderness in the U.S., and it apparently craves souls. How scary is that sentence? All right, more than 20,000 people have gone missing without a trace in the area during the past half century alone. Are they being consumed by mythological beings like a beast or a ghostly kidnapper? Are they lost on extreme hikes or simply vanishing into a dark vortex? Nobody knows, though it's not for lack of trying. When the government lost House Majority Leader Hale Boggs' Cessna to the Triangle in 1972, a massive search turned up tons of conspiracy theories, but no bodies. Now, when I read that, did some of those words not make sense? Because I know that when I read Hale Boggs' Cessna... I did not know any of those. So I did a little research for us. And let's read what Wikipedia has to say about this situation. So Hale Boggs was, like it said, the House Majority Leader in 1972. And a Cessna, I learned this literally this week, is a plane. So here's what, here's what the interwebs says about it. Boggs often campaigned for others, including Representative Nick... Not sure how to say his last name, so I'm going to call him Representative Nick of Alaska. On October 16th, 1972, Boggs was aboard a twin-engine Cessna 310 with Representative Nick, who was facing a possible tight race in the November 1972 general election against the Republican candidate Don Young when it disappeared during a flight from Anchorage to Juneau. Also on board were Nick's aide, Russell Brown, and the pilot. The four were heading to a campaign fundraiser for Representative Nick. The search for the missing aircraft and four men included the U.S. Coast Guard, the Navy, the Army, the Air Force, the Civil Air Patrol, and civilian fixed-wing aircraft and helicopters. The Cessna was required to carry an emergency locator transmitter per Alaska state law and federal law. No emergency transmission signal determined to be from the plane was heard during the search. In its report on the incident, the National Transportation Safety Board stated that the pilot's portable emergency transmitter, permissible in lieu of a fixed transmitter on the plane, was found in an aircraft at Fairbanks, Alaska. 
The report also notes that a witness saw an unidentified object in the pilot's briefcase that resembled, except for the color, the portable emergency transmitter. The safety board concluded that neither the pilot nor the aircraft had an emergency location transmitter. I don't know if that's, I keep, I feel like I keep saying those words, transmitter, transmitter. I don't know. You guys get what I mean. On November 24th, 1972, the search was suspended after 39 days. Neither the wreckage of the plane nor the pilot's or passenger's bodies were ever found. I should say here the trigger warning. I should have said it before this story, but this whole episode needs a trigger warning because these are all scary. So yeah, totally disappeared. No trace of anything in this Alaska-themed Bermuda Triangle. So here's another thing that the article says. It says where it came from. The area has been associated with evil spirits and lore for centuries, attributed to trickster demons for luring people into an icy death. Other believes the area exists amid electromagnetically influenced vile vortexes. Still, others think it's a Darwinian result of explorers taking on nature. Regardless, the area continues to claim people, and underneath that massive blanket of snow and rock likely lies one of the largest and best-preserved mass graves in the world. Oh, that is spooky. Episode of The Bad Broadcast is brought to you by Olive and June. Olive and June is one of those brands that I've loved for so long, and now they're a sponsor of the podcast, and I could not be more excited. When I got my Olive and June kit in the mail last week, I about died. It was the greatest thing I've I've maybe ever received. I felt like the coolest girl at the sleepover. You know the one. She shows up. She's got all the nail polish colors. She's got every manicure tool, and she's doing everybody's nails, and she's also your new best friend. That's how I felt. So Olive and June's Manny system comes with all the tools you need in one box. It also comes with the Poppy, which is a patented brush handle that makes it easy to paint with both of your hands. You guys know the struggle of trying to paint with your non-dominant hand. It's a mess. So I suggest getting the Olive and June Manny system with six polishes because it breaks down to basically $2 a manicure. And you guys know that a manicure at a salon is like at least $40, at least. So getting beautiful salon perfect nails at home is now a dream come true with Olive and June. Your new nail life is here. Visit oliveandjune.com slash bad and use the code bad for 20% off of your first Manny system. This is an exclusive offer that you can only get here. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash bad and also use the code bad for 20% off of your first Manny system. Oliveandjune.com slash bad code bad. And action. Hey everyone, I'm Sarah Gretzky and I'm Natalie Buck. And together we are the Net Chicks. We're here to talk anything and everything on screen, including what your favorite celebs are up to. And if you want to know what shows we are absolutely loving and hating, well, thank God, because we will be unpacking for you every single Thursday. So grab your Netflix and some popcorn because the chicks are coming. And scene. Okay, let's go on to our next state. We're going to head head south from our icy tundra of Alaska and talk about the creepiest urban legend 
in California, otherwise known as the Many Horrors of Turnbull Canyon. Located near LA, between Whittier and City of Industry, Turnbull is a 49,000-acre smorgasbord of nightmare fuel set amid the scenic hills. You want your scares rooted in American history? The native people used to call it the place of the devil, where the ghosts of those slain for not converting to Christianity dwell alongside witches and Satanists, who, again, this is a trigger warning, who reportedly use the place to sacrifice children whose spirits now walk the canyon and dangle from trees. They're joined by the ghosts of 21 kids who perished in a plane crash back in 52, allegedly, as there's no existing record of it. Then there's the remains of the old insane asylum that came back to life to kill a teen in the 60s via a long dormant electrical wire. So apparently people think, think, people think with a TH, not with an F, people think that this insane asylum actually came to life and was murdering people. There are cults, alien encounters, gravity hills, it goes on and on. Basically, if it's something that gets under your skin, there's a story about it happening in this seemingly cursed canyon. The place's evil vibes date back centuries, though it wasn't until the site was established as a fur trapping site in 1845 that things started getting really intense, with word of the site's terrors traveling far and wide, making it a place visited as much for its beauty as morbid curiosity. Here's why this one was so spooky is because I can find barely anything else about Turnbull Canyon. And I feel like there's a lot of like haunted, culty, scary things that go on in the LA area. If you haven't listened to Root of Evil, I suggest listening to it. It's also really intense. So don't go into it thinking it's just like a casual true crime. It's one of the hardest listens ever, but it's about the Black Dahlia case and a bunch of like LA landmarks that just have weird, creepy energy. The fact that I haven't ever heard about Turnbull Canyon scares me just just a little bit more than regular, regular urban legends. Let's head on over to everybody's favorite mess of a state, Florida. And Florida's creepiest urban legend is titled just the most Florida name you've ever heard. It's called the Skunk Ape. Here we go. The Everglades are filled with an array of terrifying creatures. Man-eating alligators, man-eating snakes, man-eating roadkill. However, one human-like figure has been spotted enough times to warrant elevated levels of concern, the skunk ape. A relative to Bigfoot, a fully grown skunk ape stands anywhere from five to seven feet tall and weighs approximately 450 pounds. They can be detected by a horrific odor that's been described as sun-baked animal carcass and rotting garbage. They mostly eat berries and small animals, but from time to time, they've been known to ravage farms and tear wild boars to shreds. Recently, a skunk ape HQ has popped up in the Everglades where you can book tours out into the swamp or reserve a spot on a hunting expedition to finally prove the hairy beast is real once and for all. Where this came from, no one can say for sure, but because its lineage can be traced back to Bigfoot, many believe it migrated from south of the mountains and found refuge in the swamplands, an environment safe from humans with ample sustenance and room to roam. Others believe it's just lore, a tale pioneers created in order to scare people off their lands and preserve the wilderness. Whatever you believe, should you find yourself camping in the Everglades and you smell something foul, take caution. It could be the skunk ape. All right here's the thing. What do they mean? Its lineage can be traced to Bigfoot. I'm pretty sure Bigfoot doesn't have a family tree. I know that I'm kind of a wild card with the things I believe in and the things I don't, but I don't know if I believe in Bigfoot. 
and I know that's I know that's like a, that's a classic. That's like the that's the bread and butter of conspiracy theories. But I don't know. Also, a skunk ape, five feet tall. I feel like I could probably take a skunk ape. I mean, it's 400 pounds, which is slightly more than I weigh. But if I have a full foot on it, then maybe. I don't know. I just feel like this isn't the scariest possible animal that you could run into in a forest. Like, I think a bear or a cheetah, which I know those don't live in forests, but whatever. I feel like those are way scarier because they're obviously faster than you and they're way bigger than you. But there's really no situation that um, I would be more screwed in than interacting with a wild animal. You know how every animal has like different rules, like some you're supposed to like make noise, some you're supposed to be quiet or crouch down or stand up or whatever. Don't know any of them. I don't know any of them. I would be dead in an instant. I can almost guarantee. All right, let's let's head up to my birth state, which I was born in 28 years ago, in case you guys forgot, it's my birthday. Georgia. And Georgia's creepiest urban legend is one that I have heard about because I've heard of a lot of true crime stories that took place here. And you can definitely find them because anyway, we'll talk about it. It is the curse of Lake Lanier. The massive man-made lake north of Atlanta is unnerving on multiple fronts with a reputation for tragic and sometimes mysterious deaths from a disproportionately high frequency of boating accidents and drownings to unexplained homicides. A construction crew discovered the skeleton of a woman who disappeared in 1958, still trapped in her car at the bottom of the lake more than 30 years later. And since then, people have reported sightings of a ghostly female figure on the lake's waters. There are even reports of malevolent catfish lurking on the bottom that are large enough to swallow a dog or drown a diver. There were numerous issues with the construction of the lake, not the least of which included the displacement of families, businesses, and even cemeteries. Some of these structures still have a ghostly presence at the bottom of the lake, which some point to as a source of Lanier's haunted reputation. Others point to the simple water plus alcohol equals accidents formula to explain the tragedies. Lanier is a notorious party lake, but as noted before, many of the deaths go beyond simple boating accidents, leading some to believe there's something more sinister at work. So Lake Lanier, like I said, I've listened to a few podcasts about it. They literally cleared out an entire town. There's like five cemeteries underneath this lake. Like they had to clear out a bunch of homes and businesses and families and they claimed, okay, this part's this part's really creepy. I learned about it on a podcast called Morbid. They like said that they moved all the bodies to a different cemetery, but people like think or maybe they know that they didn't. So they're literally just under the lake. That gives me the willies. I don't even want to think about it anymore. No thank you, Lake Lanier. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is sponsored by ShipStation. The holidays are coming up quick, and if you're selling anything online, it's time to prepare for the busiest time of the year. Between growing your business, managing inventory, and juggling orders, you've got a lot going on this holiday season. I know it, you know it, we all know it. So make shipping the easiest part of your day with ShipStation. I have used ShipStation since the beginning of The Bad Broadcast, since long before they were even a sponsor, I was using them for all of my merch drops and anytime I needed to ship anything. And it was way easier and way more affordable than anything else I tried. 
So figuring out the best way to ship your orders can be frustrating and confusing, but ShipStation makes it quick, easy, and convenient. You can easily import orders from any sales channel. You can automate basically any shipping task, and ShipStation integrates all selling channels into one simple dashboard, so you can seamlessly connect carriers, print shipping labels, and get products out the door fast. Over 100,000 sellers use ShipStation in their business and I am included in that. It's never too early to start prepping for the holiday rush, so get a head start with ShipStation. My listeners can use my offer code BAD to get a 60-day free trial just in time for the holidays. That's two months of stress-free holiday shipping for free. Just go to ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top, and enter the code BAD. ShipStation. Make ship happen. Moving on to Kansas, which is a state that I have, I'm pretty sure I've been to, but I don't remember anything about it because it's Kansas. All right. Kansas's, Kansas's creepiest urban legend is the gateway to hell. The tiny town of Stull has counted very few residents since it was founded in 1856. Wait until I read you guys this next sentence. The most famous resident is rumored to be Lucifer, who some say appears at the town cemetery on Halloween and spring equinox. They say he uses the site where a roofless church once stood as a portal to and from hell. So basically, Satan uses this city in Kansas as his dump it to crump it, a la How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Basically, he just heads in and out. That's like where he goes. Some say that he's drawn to the site of frequent witch hangings. Other believe one of the graves actually contains Satan's own child. Either way, new graves continue to be dug despite warning signs against trespassers, perhaps referring directly to the Prince of Darkness himself or the cults that are rumored rumored to flock to the grounds. See, this is like this. This is confused. The genealogy gets gets fishy here. Because how do you believe that it's Satan's child and who's the mom and how old are they? And, you know, is it named something that ends in L-E-I-G-H? Probably. Uh, I feel like that's what Satan would name his child. All right. Going on. The first published article about the horrors are traced back to a 1974 article in the University Daily Kansan. The whispers about evil have persisted since 1900 or so. In 1998, the hanging tree was torn down to stop people from visiting. It hasn't lessened the need for the small town to bolster an annual police presence to deter visitors looking for a glimpse of the devil himself. I just don't think that the devil's in Kansas. I don't know. Again, like we said last week, he's the ruler of all that is evil. I feel like Kansas is not the first place he wants to go. That's all, that's all I'm saying. All right. We are heading up north to Maryland. Maryland's creepiest urban legend is called the Goatman. Maybe the Goatman. I think it's probably Goatman. Maryland's infamous Goatman allegedly does all the things you would expect a deranged half-goat slash half-man to do. Kill teenagers, eat dogs, scream like a goat, etc. But the most terrifying aspect is just how deep the lore goes. The USDA was even forced at one point to publicly deny creating the beast in their Beltsville Agriculture Research Center. 
Another tale revolves around a goat farmer who, after realizing a group of rowdy teens had killed his tribe, went totally crazy and turned into a teen-slaying goat monster. So you're telling me that Maryland's creepiest urban legend is Mr. Tumnus on bath salts. That's what that's what I'm hearing here. Also, who you know, it could just be Mr. Tumnus, period. You wouldn't even have to add in any of the extra details. If you just told me that Mr. Tumnus was hanging out in a city, that would be the scariest place in the world for me. Because have you guys watched Narnia lately? I'm sure somebody out there has. I don't know. Whatever. We don't need to go into why I watch the movies that I do. I mean, he's so predatory. I mean, and he's got the goatee and the horns. It just, it's, it's a whole thing. All right, going on. Though the lore had been around for a while, the first recorded media mentions of the goat man occurred in 1971, courtesy of writer Karen Holzler of the Prince George's County News. The first was a deep dive into Maryland folklore, followed by an actual news item about a family blaming the brutal decapitation of their puppy on the goat man, which they may or may not have just heard about via the county news. One month later, the Washington Post ran a national feature detailing the legend of the goat man. Ultimately, the goat man had become one of America's most persistent and well-known urban legends, with claimed sightings still occurring with regularity and cheesy fictionalizations still creeping out the old line state. I went to Maryland once. I know that nobody asked me, and that's not what this is about, but it was just absolutely lovely. I went to Annapolis because, uh, I don't know if I've talked about this enough, but I was an intern in Washington, D.C. <laughs> I gotta stop talking about that. After living there for about two months, I realized that I was mere miles away from Maryland and did not know that. Moving on to our next state. All right, we're headed back to the West. I don't know why I keep like saying the direction that we're headed as though it matters at all where these states are geographically, but nevertheless, we are <laughs> we are headed to Nevada because the scariest thing in Nevada is of course Area 51. This is a very brief overview. I know there's a million different things that we could say and research and talk about when it comes to Area 51, but here's a, here's a little Sparks notes for you. Area 51 lore has been satirized, remixed, and riffed on so much in popular culture, sometimes it's hard to remember how creepy this whole deal was slash is in the first place. But secret government cover-ups, dead aliens, and playing God in the middle of the desolate Nevada desert is creepier than probing Randy Quaid. Apparently, Randy Quaid is from... Um, Independence Day, which I've never seen because I'm married to somebody who won't watch movies made before the year 2000. It's been said that everything from time travel, genetic experiments, and alien autopsies are commonplace at Area 51. Frankly, no one outside of the high government knows what goes on in there. First off, Area 51 is a real, highly classified military base in the southern portion of Nevada. Its purpose is publicly unknown. But in the early 1950s, in the infant stages of the Cold War, President Eisenhower approved plans to build the U-2 stealth plane and created Area 51 to house the development labs and test field. When reports of the admittedly spacecraft-looking plane floated through the public and media, theories spread and the conjecture around Roswell's alien crash site only fanned the flames of speculation. From there, it's been the epicenter for all U.S. government suspicion. I looked up that Roswell thing because I didn't know what it was talking about, and apparently the Roswell incident is a crash of a United States Army Air Force's balloon? at a ranch near Roswell, New Mexico. 
and conspiracy theories came from that saying that it was a flying saucer. I don't know what an Army Air Force's balloon is or looks like because when I look it up, it literally just shows me America-themed hot air balloons, and I don't think that's what it's talking about. Anyway, Area 51, super weird, super creepy. I bet they're I bet they're hosting Squid Game in there. I bet they're having the Bezoses and the Zuckerbergs of the world in there, and they're playing Squid Game. Uh, speaking of Squid Game, so last week it was on my love list, and I told you guys it was only three episodes in, and uh, we finished Squid Game. We did, and my official review is okay. Well, I was gonna say something sarcastic, but I'll tell you guys really what I thought. It like I I get it. It's like really well written, and the cinematography and the set design, it's all very cool. It was without a doubt the most disturbing thing I've ever watched. Granted, I don't watch a lot of like horror or anything like that, but as far as like graphic things that I've seen, this one is by far, I mean, by far number one. They spare no details when showing people's deaths. So, I liked the the story. I, uh, did I like the story? I thought the twist was good. I liked the twist. There's a twist at the end. But yeah, getting through Squid Game was nigh impossible. Spoiler alert, if you haven't watched all the way through Squid Game, just skip like 15 seconds. I'll be really quick. But the whole time that I was watching that the the games part, like all those rich people coming in playing those games, I'm like, they're probably doing that somewhere in America. It's like Epstein Island or Area 51. It's definitely happening. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is brought to you by Hydro Jug. You guys need to get your hands on the water bottle everyone is talking about, including me, the Hydro Jug. It is seriously one of my favorite items that I own, and it also doesn't really leave my side at any point, but especially when I record. I love to have it next to me because I'm tucked away, I'm at my desk, I've got my microphone, my laptop. I don't want to have to get up and refill a water bottle like a hundred times. So these durable and reusable jugs hold more than a half gallon of water. So you will stay hydrated all day long. It also has a leak proof seal, a wide mouth opening. It's dishwasher safe and the bottle is shatterproof. Another thing I love is the neoprene sleeves that you can get. So you don't have to hold your hydro jug all day. You can put it in the sleeve and you can wear it like crossbody or over your shoulder. And it also has pockets for like your phone or your keys. So it's perfect for a hike or just if you're on the go. The hydro jug also has a measurement scale on the side so you can track your progress and see how much water you have had that day. So you can get your hydro jug at www.thehydrojug.com. Dot com. You can use my discount code BAD to get 10% off of your order today. Hydro jugs are game changers for anyone on the go. Again, use the code BAD, B-A-D, at www.thehydrojug.com to get 10% off and start hydrating today. All right, weird tangent. But let's move on to our next state, North Dakota, an obvious site for extremely creepy things. The gates of hell are North Dakota's scariest urban legend. It says abandoned towns are generally creepy and North Dakota has an abundance of settlements that were all but abandoned after the railroad boom. Tagus, though, takes the cake due to the little fact that people believe that it once housed a Lutheran church that doubled as a hotbed for Satan worship. 
Legend is it burned down, but if you stand in just the right place, you can hear the screams of the damned bubbling up from hell itself. Okay, why are the gates of hell in the lamest states? Is that so none of us find them? They're in Kansas and North Dakota. I guess it makes sense. No, no one's going there anytime soon. There are also reports of hellhounds, glowing gravestones, and a ghost train. I love a themed train ride. I would love to give that a shot. Vandals have made the few people who call Tagus home very wary of visitors, and Lord knows that the combination of a rumored portal to hell and extremely unwelcoming locals in a small town is boilerplate horror movie fodder. The Satanism business, it's a business, dates back to the satanic panic of the 80s, though Tagus has been spooky since its founding in 1900 and ever since the late 80s when hundreds of high schoolers turned up for a vandalism-intensive Halloween party were run out of the ghost town, Visitors have been met with extreme skepticism. The city's last church burned to the ground in 2001. Every time I hear about teenagers doing something like super wild like this, like going to a tiny little ghost town and defacing and vandalizing the entire city, like I don't know one teenager who has that much energy. I couldn't even stay up till like 1130 to go to IHOP with my friends in high school. What teenagers have the time and the energy for this? All right, of course, I got to loop around to my home state of Utah, and I've actually never heard of this urban legend, and also I don't even know if I'm saying it right, because I've heard people say it a bunch of different ways, but it's, I would say Escalante, Escalante Petrified Forest Curse. I've also heard like Escalante, I don't know. In Utah, we like to just uh, pronounce things wrong. I guess it's a hobby of ours. There is a city in Southern Utah called Hurricane and it's spelled like hurricane. Do we have an accent when we talk about hurricanes? Nope. But for some reason with this city, we call it hurricane. So in case you needed another thing to hate about Utah, <laughs> there it is. I'm just kidding. I really do. I, uh, I love being from Utah. People really don't like being from Utah. People will avoid, there's this trend in Utah where you go to extreme lengths to make sure people know that you're not from Utah. Like it's, it's talked about all the time. I feel like I've roasted it before, but people who are like born in California and then they move here when they're two and they're like, well, I'm not like from Utah. I'm like from California, but like I've lived in Utah for a little while. It's like if you moved here when you were two or younger, you are from Utah. I'm so sorry to say, but uh, I like being from Utah. So you guys can suck it. All right. Moving along. I've been, I've been really not on topic, but whatever. It's my birthday week. You can't get mad at me. Here we go. Utah's urban legend. Utah's legend is particularly troubling for tourists as they might be taking the horror home with them, even if they escape the forest. With shocking regularity, visitors who have stolen chunks of petrified wood from Escalante Petrified Forest State Park will mail back their lifted souvenirs. All their letters detail series of unfortunate events from bro broken collarbones, arms and ribs to mysterious illnesses, horrific accidents, and financial ruin. The one thing they have in common, they all occur after the victim allegedly stole a piece of the forest. Many people have and still do mail back cursed pieces from the petrified wood, and the park even displays the letters and samples openly as an attraction. Ew! Apparently, there have been cases of stolen wood turning to bad luck since the 1930s, though it's unclear the actual root of the curse. Maybe it's the burden of moral ambiguity affecting other areas of life. Maybe it's just coincidence. 
Either way, it's not worth risking your collarbone. Yeah, yeah I can't say that's on my must, my must see list for Utah. Utah has far too many creepy things for my liking. Maybe everybody feels that way about where they grew up because you went to high school here and everybody's always looking for like haunted houses or like creepy places that they can take their friends and scare them. But yeah, there's like a, I feel like there's a lot in Utah. I don't know. I don't plan on diving deeper into those because I would not like to uh, think about how close they are to me. Our last state that we're going to talk about, and then we have a few voicemails just to lighten the mood. We're going to switch gears. We're not going to talk about anything scary. I'm going to answer some of your guys' questions, and we're going to kind of end this episode on a light note. But before we do that, let's get dark again. (laughs) We're going to talk about the urban legend from Virginia called the Bunny Man Bridge. The legend is fun to repeat at campfires, but the real sightings beyond the legend are some to give you nightmares. In 1970, there were numerous police reports of people who had been threatened by a man holding an axe wearing a white suit with bunny ears. A few individuals reported that the man in the suit actually threw the axe at them for trespassing. To this day, there have been many sightings of dead rabbits appearing in the woods surrounding Fairfax Bridge, now known as the Bunny Man Bridge, as well as a white figure appearing late at night underneath the bridge. Legend says that in 1904, a group of convicts were piled onto a bus to be transported from an asylum to Clifton, Virginia, to a nearby prison. En route, one of the buses crashed. The convicts managed to escape, and the police were able to round up all but one of the convicts. As their search went on, they began to find skinned, half-eaten bunnies in the woods and hanging from the overpass of Fairfax Bridge, now known as the Bunny Man Bridge. A year later, on Halloween night, several teens went to hang out under the bridge. Come morning, they were all found dead. It is said that if you hang out under the bridge on Halloween night, you will meet the same fate as the rabbits and the teenagers. Mm, I mean, I would I would choose the skunk ape over haunted bunny with an axe. But I can't say that I want to meet either of them. All right, that wraps up our spooky, our spooky segment. I know that the the, the scary stuff can get a little heavy. So let's end. I'm going to play some voicemails, answer some questions you guys have, and we'll wrap up there. And then you guys can have like a peaceful rest of your day instead of the last thing you hear is the bunny man throwing axes at teenagers. All right, first voicemail coming right up. Okay. First of all, I love you so much. This is the only podcast that I'm literally addicted to. I binged it and I'm really depressed that I have to wait a week for every episode now, but it's fine. So I've been wanting to rant to you about this because I feel like you're my best friend. So you know how this is my hate, by the way. I probably, maybe I'll include some loves at the end, but you know how there's boxes in the makeup section at Walmart or other stores that have to, you know, lock things up so you don't steal it, steal it, and then you have to go um, get it open before you can buy it at the end. Yeah, all, all is fine. Except for the fact that they recently started doing that to the sex and women stuff section. I get it. You know, they don't want people to steal that stuff, but, you know, if someone needs to steal a pregnancy test, they probably have a lot going on and we should just let it happen. But let me just say, it is the most humiliating experience to be sitting there and need to ring a bell and wait for some 50-year-old man to come and 
get whatever sex things you need, and you have to point to them. You can't grab them, by the way. And then put them in a box, and then you have to go, and somebody else at the cashier, probably another old man, has to open it up in order for you to buy it. Worst experience ever, especially if you are having anxiety because you have to go there like every month because you're trying to get pregnant. Or what if I was like a 14-year-old girl and I had to sit there in pure humiliation? Yeah, no. Hate it. Worst thing ever. Number one thing I want to rant to you about. Sorry, I think it cut I think it cut off the last part of her voicemail. I think there's a two-minute limit. So it's not very long. Two minutes is not very long. So sorry that some of you get cut off. But anyway, of course I agree with this. Of course, this is right up my alley with things I love to rage about. I feel like it would be safe to say that all things related to female slash uterine slash vaginal wellness should be free. Am I right? Tampons, free. Pregnancy tests, free. Vibrators, free. Movies with Reese Witherspoon, free. Dirty chai lattes, also free. Like, does nobody care about about our well-being? Apparently not. The minute I fell in love with Matt, like the minute I knew he was the one, was when I sent him to the store to get tampons. And he called me in an absolute blind rage that the box was over $10. He could not believe how expensive they were. Also, pregnancy tests are like $9 for one. And I know that you can get a lot of this stuff for free at Planned Parenthood and other clinics, but people are trying real hard to make sure that those resources are not available, which is, as you can see, quite the problem. Nobody makes a big enough deal about periods. Like nobody's freaking out nearly enough about them. I used to think it was like somehow cool to like not have a a severe period. Like, yeah, it's pretty mild. I don't get any symptoms, but like, are you kidding me? I will now be milking that week out of the month for the rest of my life. If I lost a limb, I would be less dramatic than I am about my period. Like my insides are bleeding and they're dripping out of me. And I have to pay to make sure that it it doesn't get everywhere. Like I have to pay money for basically the specialized bandage that I have to get. Feel bad for me and also give me everything for free. All right, next voicemail. Maddie, it's me, Sierra, calling you with a question. If you were going to do a couple's Halloween costume with your best friend and go as Lizzie and Isabella from the Lizzie McGuire movie, would you want to be Isabella or would you want to be Lizzie? My first reaction is I would want to be Lizzie, but Isabella is the one who has the iconic line, sing to me, Paolo. So who would you be? I need to know. I, I just need to know. I'm really back and forth. Love you tons. Happy birthday. Bye. You know, finally, somebody's asking the tough stuff around here. You know, somebody's really getting down to the nitty gritty. We're getting real vulnerable and honest with ourselves with this one. So would I rather be Lizzie or Isabella? I'm going to go with Lizzie because if you can choose the main character, always choose her. Isabella's iconic. Of course, we love the green outfit. Uh, Don't think that I could rock the lower belly cutout the way that she does, but Uh, She looks amazing. But yeah, I think I would go with Lizzie. So much of my personality from ages like eight to 25 was based on Lizzie McGuire. She was just, she was the pinnacle of like the person that I wanted to be. So dressing up for her as Halloween would like be an honor. I think it would be. I think that's who I would choose. That's my answer, Sierra. Thank you for asking. Thank you so much. Next voicemail. I am honestly elated right now. I just want to say, 
I listen all the time. I love you. I just feel so connected, etc. Okay. My question is, who would you put on your personal Mount Rushmore? And I know that Mount Rushmore is just full of white men and it's kind of antiquated. Just pretend that that's what's so good about this question is you can change it to be whoever you want and whoever you want to put up there forever and etch in stone, if you will. Love you. Bye. Well, first of all, I just want to say that this is one of the best like icebreaker questions I've ever been asked. I feel like this is such a great first date question. I feel like you could tell a lot about somebody by the people that they choose. Like if Jeff Bezos, <laughs> I've already talked about Jeff Bezos in this episode. Oh, well, if Jeff Bezos or like Elon Musk is on one of your dates, personal Mount Rushmore's, I feel like we should be worried I feel like we should be worried about that. Okay, let's talk about my personal Mount Rushmore. So weirdly, the first, I was trying to think of like women that I just, just idolize and look up to and respect so much. And, uh, you know, of course, aside from the women who I actually know in real life, like my mom and my sisters-in-law and my friends and all of those amazing women, women who I don't know. The first person who came to mind was actually... Tina Fey. And I know this is weird. Maybe she's not everybody's cup of tea or everybody's favorite or whatever. But Tina Fey's book, Bossy Pants, was the first book I read when I moved out after high school. I remember really, I I distinctly remember picking it out. And I started reading it and it was the first time that I saw a woman with a career that like I wanted to work towards that I had in like my goals. It was the first time I really saw somebody say comedy is what I want to do and I want to do it because I'm good at it. And that's what Tina Fey did in her book. And I just, I love that. I think about that often. I, I feel like it was the first, like the first little lamppost in my life, my life path, uh, kind of leading me in the direction I wanted to go. Um, number two, the second person I would put on my personal Mount Rushmore is uh, Serena Williams because she's the greatest athlete of all time. And I do think she's an actual goddess. And I would also pay money to let her punch me in the face. So Serena Williams, of course. Number three, Dolly. Dolly Parton because she's Dolly. Unapologetic, fabulous, feminine, always trying to do the right thing. Love Dolly. And the fourth person, I, oh, I don't know. I was trying to decide between a couple, but I put Princess Diana. I, I am having a very a very soft spot for her lately. I just listened to, I think it was a Time Suck. I've talked about that podcast before with Dan Cummins. He does random deep dives and he did a deep dive on Princess Diana. And I just, from what I have learned about her, like the more and more I learn about her in her life, the more I'm obsessed with her. And I think that she... I don't know. I just think she she stayed very true to herself in a very impossible situation. And I don't know. I just, I've always loved her. And she also kind of reminds me of my mom. So those are my four. Again, great question. Thank you for asking. All right, let's do another. Since it is October and we're talking about ghosts and spirits, I have my question for you is, if you or when you die and you are a ghost and this and or a spirit who 
what or where would you go as a ghost spirit after you die? Okay, sorry. So much of this uh, voicemail was like garbled and really hard to understand. So I just cut out the part where she asked me the question, which was basically if and when I die and I become a ghost, what am I going to do with my ghostly abilities? Um, later in her voicemail, she talks about how she w- is going to go search out like conspiracy theories. And I think that that is a really good move. I personally want to know what happened um, in the Heyman Lee case, if Adnan is innocent or guilty. Uh, John Benet Ramsey, of course, want to know what happens there. But as far as things I'm going to do with my newfound ghost abilities, I am going to be the most annoying ghost ever. I am going to find every internet troll and just cause the most chaotic inconveniences in their life. Like they're always going to have a boot on their car or they're always going to plug their phone into an outlet that doesn't work. Like there's just going to like, nothing's going to go right for them ever again. If I have the chance to be a ghost, I also think that I would live in a bakery. I think that that is where I would like to haunt. I think I would be a really cute bakery ghost. I think that that's really my aesthetic. So again, I just really appreciate you guys asking the proper questions on these voicemails. Um, I'm going to wrap it up here. Actually, I was going to do, yeah, I was going to do one more, but guys, it's, it's three minutes to midnight. I'm almost 28. Maybe I should wait and, and record myself turning 28. Okay. I'll, I'll be back in just one second. Hold on. All right. And just like that, I am now 28. I feel so much older and wiser than I did five minutes ago. Thank you guys for being here, for listening, for making the last year of my life just so full of joy. I love you all so much, and I hope you are staying safe, kind, and hot. I said my own tagline wrong. Dang it. Be safe, be kind, be hot. I love you guys. I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, you can catch a new episode of The Bad Broadcast every Monday. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss anything. Also, I want to hear from you, so please leave a rating and review. You can also follow me on Instagram at The Bad Broadcast for all the behind-the-scenes action and more information. Talk to you next week.